I'm going to start off just uh, reading some names, and they're probably not going to mean anything to you until uh, I explain, but I feel like it's important to read these names to you and just listen to them. Malad, Abanud, Maged, Yusef, these are not Americans, Karelius, Beshoi, Samuel, Malik, Tawadras, Gurgis, Mina, Haney, Bishop, Samuel, Asat, Lucas, Gaber, Assam, Malik, Sama, and an unnamed worker. I share those names with you because those names are 21 of our brothers and sisters in Christ who were martyred four years ago this month for their faith in God and for being considered to be people of the cross. February 15, 2019 marks the fourth anniversary of the murder of the 21 Coptic Christians who were systematically in orange jumpsuits marched out in front of a seacoast, which they believe was the video was altered, and put on their knees, and they were beheaded. April 19th, two months later, 2015, ISIL, which is the Islamic State in Iraq and the Levant, released another video in which they murdered about 30 Ethiopian Christians. Tertullian, who is a Christian apologist from the third century, said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. In other words, martyrdom actually is the springboard that God uses to grow his church. Throughout biblical history, the pages of scripture give numerous accounts of punishment and persecution of God's prophets. This past year, we studied one of those, Elijah, who was, life was in danger by the wicked Queen Jezebel who wanted him dead. And Queen Jezebel was also responsible for killing many prophets of the Lord. Extra-biblical writers tell us that Isaiah's body was probably sawn in two. Zechariah was stoned to death. Jeremiah faced continuous persecution during his ministry. He was thrown into a slimy pit. He was beaten. He was incarcerated. He was bound in chains and accused of being a liar. Hebrews 11.37 says this. They were stoned. Talking about the faithful who went before us. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. As we go to our text today in Mark chapter 6, we will be looking back at the execution of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. 
Jesus said of John the Baptist in Matthew 11, verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John the Baptist faithfully pointed people to Christ. In John 1.29, it says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John faithfully proclaimed Christ to the masses. He was faithful. We're going to see in our text, though, a king, Herod, who was faithless. We saw a man who had incredible courage in confronting the king with his sin. We see a king who is full of cowardness in repenting of his sin. Since the religious leaders did not receive John and his message, they would not receive Jesus and his message either. Last week we looked at the fact that the authority of Jesus was revealed and then the authority of Jesus was rejected. In Matthew 3, John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River who had confessed their sins and he looks around and he sees the Pharisees and Sadducees coming and he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Strong message. Let's read down through our text and then we're going to come back and unpack it. Mark chapter 6 beginning in verse 14. King Herod heard about this. And it talks earlier about the disciples casting out demons and anointing people that were sick. And, of course, the preaching of Jesus. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried in to the king with a request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her, so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. 
The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The King Herod, who ruled in this region, is Herod Antipas. His father was Herod the Great, who ruled Israel under Rome for 36 years. He did not have much interest in Judaism unless it could benefit him politically. The Jewish people despised his rulership because of his oppressive power, along with his rampant immorality and brutality. Herod the Great was also the one responsible for killing all the babies because he was hoping to kill Jesus as a baby. That was Herod the Great. That was Herod Antipas's father. He further, Herod the Great, ordered the execution of the Sanhedrin when they ruled against him, and he murdered two of his own sons. I share that with you to see the kind of legacy that is going into Herod Antipas. This was his father. Now you have Herod Antipas coming on the scene. Herod dies in 4 BC, Herod the Great. They divide up his territory among several of his sons, one of whom is Herod Antipas. This territory is Galilee and Perea, and he holds this seat of power for 42 years. Although Herod Antipas never achieves the power and influence his father had, he did follow, however, in the footsteps of his father's immorality and barbarism. They exercised their power and military might to keep the people under control and maintain their authority. And so as we look at King Herod Antipas as one of the main characters in this account, we're going to look at this passage from his vantage point through three focal points. The first being Herod's captivation, the second, Herod's conflict, and the third, Herod's commitment. The first focal point we see is Herod's captivation. Look in verse 14 and 15. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are working him. Others said he's a Elijah, and others still claimed he's a prophet, like one of those long ago. But Herod, when he heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. He is captivated by this news because he is actually concerned that Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected. And thinking of what Herod had done to John the Baptist, I think he is a little nervous in his captivation of this story and his interest in hearing about Jesus. But everywhere he goes, crowds have been swelled to hear this Jewish rabbi. And King Herod probably didn't even take much interest in Jesus until now, when everybody's talking about him. Jesus had sent out the disciples to preach repentance. We studied that last week. Uh, in chapter 6, verse 12, they went out and preached that people should repent. And we talked about the fact that they were called as heralds of the gospel. And as a herald of the gospel, they were to have a good voice. They were to have a good character. They were also to have the mind, adopt the mind of the one who commissioned them. And fourthly, they were to act with the authority of their master. 
They were faithful heralds of the gospel, the disciples, and so was John the Baptist as a herald of the gospel. They were also instructed to heal the sick and drive out demons. And so they're saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead because we haven't seen anybody like him. Others are saying, well, no, no, it's Elijah. Elijah, because Elijah was prophesied about in the book of Malachi. He was the last Old Testament, uh, or no, actually, he was an Old Testament prophet who would come before the Messiah. In Luke chapter 9, verse 7 and 8, it says, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised by the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared, and by others one of the prophets had been risen. And Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I'm hearing these things? And he sought to see him. So Herod's captivation was influenced by his internal conflict. So the second focal point that we're going to look at here is in verses 16 through 20. Herod hears this. And he says, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself was the one who gave orders to have John arrested, bound him, put him in prison. And it says the reason he did it is because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias, his new wife, nurses a grudge against John and wants to kill him. But she was not able to, because why? Look in verse 20, Herod feared John. Isn't that odd that here's the king with all the power and influence, and he's afraid of God's prophet, but God's prophet is not afraid of him. Knowing him to be a righteous and holy man, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled Yet he liked to listen to him. Herod is filled with fear, and with this fear comes internal conflict. And this conflict comes because earlier he had John executed, had him beheaded. And now he's wrestling with a guilty conscience. He knows that John is a righteous and godly man. And King Herod is shaking in his boots about his future. He says, if this is really John the Baptist come back, he could strip me of my power and destroy me. Herod would have killed Jesus if he had been given the opportunity. It tells us that in Luke chapter 13, verse 31. So Mark is now sharing with us, like you see on Facebook, a throwback Thursday or a flashback Friday. He's flashing back to the past and reflecting on the account of John the Baptist and his death. However, Herod was offended not because of what John had done to other people, but because of what John had done to him personally. He was deeply offended by John's message to him that confronted him in his sin. John's message to everyone was, whether he was speaking to the masses or he was speaking to one individual, was the message of repentance and for salvation, for people to turn from their sin and trust Christ. John could have easily turned a blind eye or watered down his message to make it more palatable for the king, but he wouldn't do it. 
And I'm afraid, concerned greatly in our culture of the quietness of the pulpit in the church today towards sin. You can turn on television and you can watch pastors preach and they never preach about sin. Some never mention it. They never talk about repentance. They don't talk about the cross. And there's many, many churches that are like that. I don't know how many of you get the magazine, Decision Magazine. It's put out by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. This is the February uh, edition. And I just want to share with you, on the front of this, it says, Silent About Sin, on the cover. And then the subtitle is, Why Do Many Pastors Avoid Warning Against Homosexuality and Abortion? And how many pastors are silent and they won't preach out against sin? And all sin, not just those two. Uh, So here is an article in this magazine that talks about a pastor named Rico Tice, who is a pastor in England. And he was part of an evangelistic task group in England he was invited to be a part of this evangelistic task group. And, as, and he, was, he was honored to be a part of it. And he came in, and he was under the authority of the archbishop. And, but there was, there was a, a meeting that they had, and the archbishop was not able to attend, so the presiding bishop was presiding over the meeting. And as he's presiding over the meeting, the subject of same-sex marriage came up. And this man, who was the Bishop of Liverpool, his name is Bayes, B-A-Y-E-S, he had become a patron, listen to this, a patron of Liverpool's gay pride group. Now this guy's a church leader. He said very publicly, this bishop, he said very publicly, He doesn't think people in same-sex relationships need to repent. And he doesn't think they're in danger of judgment. In fact, the people in danger of judgment, he thinks, are people that are self-righteous Pharisees, like Rico Tice, this other pastor, who is against it. So he, Rico Tice, resigns. He said, he told him, He said, before I resign, he said, I had a long chat with this bishop and I asked him to stop what he was doing and he said, I'm not stopping. And that's when he realized he could no longer be a part of that group. But if you go on and read the article, and I just just want to mention a couple things because this is where our culture is. And they asked Rico Tice the question, in what ways are liberal pastors distorting the word of God? He said two areas where he believes that pastors are distorting the word of God. Wrath and repentance. Essentially, they say you can do as you please and think as you please. The real problem with sin is not just that it has messed up my life, but it makes God angry. See, we have removed this idea that God doesn't get angry towards sin and we can just sweep it under the rug and not talk about it or address it or think that we can embrace sin into our lives. 
And Herod, as he embraced sin into his life and wanted to sweep it under the rug, God's prophet spoke to him very directly and says, you need to repent of your sin of adultery and incest. Because he was involved in that. Because in essence, this was his niece. And he pulled her into this relationship and John says, it's wrong. Homosexuality is against the revelation of God. Period. It is sinful, it is deplorable, it is wicked, it is evil. So is abortion. It is against the revelation of God. But so is lying, stealing, cheating, immorality, gossip, sowing discord among the brothers. All of that is sinful. And we have to call sin, sin. Young people, there are some young people probably here this morning who have internal conflict going on inside your heart, just like Herod did. He had internal conflict going on inside of his heart. Why? Because he was fearful of what he had done in doing something to God's man. You could be wrestling with internal conflict because you have stuff going on inside of you that is against the revelation of God. It's sinful. It's not that young people say, well, you know, everybody is practicing sex outside of marriage. That doesn't make it right in the eyes of God. It is sinful in the eyes of God, and God hates it, and he is angered by it, period. You look at pornography and think, well, you know, it's not hurting anybody. It's just me, and that you are violating the law of God, that's what the scripture says. And why is the church becoming empty? He talks in here about why are all the liberal churches becoming empty in England. And here's what he says. What's happening in the church of England is that they want to remain in favor with the culture. And, they want to re and if they want to remain in favor with the culture, they have got to let the culture do what it likes sexually. But I believe these liberal pastors do not actually care for their people because they are not calling them to repent from sin. They leave people in their sin. And he said, it's a salvation issue. And my heart says amen to that. God is calling us to holy living. And it doesn't matter if you're the king of a region or a poor peasant. He calls us to repent of our sin, to trust Christ, and to live a godly life today. He expects that from us. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. So Herodias, John confronts Herod head on, and he tells him what he is doing is immoral. And that this was incest and adultery because he took Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, whom he had married. And Herodias was Herod's niece, being the daughter of Aristobulus, the half-brother of Herod Antipas. But she was already married 
to Herod Philip I, another of Herod's half-brothers. Herod Antipas himself had already been married as well. So after his unlawful divorce with adultery and incest, Herod Antipas pulls the heartstrings of his niece to divorce his half-brother so she can become his wife, and this infuriates John the Baptist, and he confronts him with the reality of it. Herod hears it, is convicted, and the only thing he can do is says, I want to silence this man. I'm going to throw him in prison. And if you um, know anything about where Herod's palace was, Machairus is the place. It's high on top of a mountain. And then as you come down the mountain around the side, there's a cave in the mountain. They believe that's where John's prison was. It was in a cave. There were no windows. There was one little opening. I've had the privilege of standing inside that cave and being in there and seeing he would have been in that cave with a gate across the opening. It's on the northeastern end of the Dead Sea. John is willing and boldly and unashamedly preaches Christ to the masses. And he rebukes the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. He confronts Herod as well with his sinful lifestyle and challenges him to repent. So due to John's bold confrontation, it tells us that Herodias nurses a grudge against John and wants to kill him. So this leads us to the third focal point, Herod's commitment. Look down in verse 21. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her an oath. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She runs out, and she gets counsel from her mother. Herodias, what should I ask for? And she doesn't hesitate. She says, John the Baptist's head on a platter. Herod has this birthday bash for all the leading men, high officials. It's a men's meeting. Jews saw these as pagan festivities. The Romans saw them as opportunities for unbridled passion to indulge their fleshly appetites in drink, food, and sexual pleasure. And after the party is rolling and the men get drunk, King has Herodias' daughter dance, which is really his stepdaughter. According to Josephus, this stepdaughter was Salome, was her name. Her sensuous and provocative dress and dance turned the men on. And under the influence of strong drink, Herod makes this rash commitment that he will give up to half his kingdom, not knowing that she was going to come back and ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Herodias is very much like Jezebel in the Old Testament, sick and tired of hearing John's rebuke, just as Jezebel was sick and tired of hearing Elijah. John's rebuke of her sinful life and tells her daughter to ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. 
Herod, however, was sorry that he made this oath, but he would not go back on his word, not because of his integrity, but because of his reputation. He wanted to appear, keep up his appearance and his reputation before his dinner guests. And so she has, he has John the Baptist beheaded. The disciples then come and they take John's body and they bury it and lay it in a tomb. Here we see the faithfulness of a man in a difficult spot, a man of courage. For us to promote the gospel in our day and age, we need some John the Baptist. We need some men who are going to stand up and courageously, unashamedly, uncompromisingly preach the truth of God to a lost and hurting world. And just as we started at the outset, we listened to the 21 Coptic Christians in Libya who were beheaded for their faith because they were people of the cross. We think in our culture that will never happen in America. Don't count on it. Unless the church rises up and becomes the church, if you watch what's happening in the news, the church becomes more and more marginalized. It is time for the church to stand up and be the church. It is time for people to come out of their sin and into righteousness and purity. Young people, if you're involved in immorality, you need to repent of your sin. Maybe you're not even a young person and you're still involved in that. You need to repent of your sin and trust Christ. You're involved in pornography. You need to repent of your sin and turn to Christ and get an accountability partner. You're involved in other sin. Turn from your sin and trust Christ. It's the only way the church is going to be effective in this culture. I don't know about you, but I want to count. I want my life to count for the cross. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. I know this is a sobering message today, but I believe it's a message as a wake-up call to the church. God has called the church to be the church. God called John the Baptist to be the forerunner of Christ, to make Christ known, to make the gospel known. What is the priority of your life? What is it that takes you away from God and his word and his church and his people I think one of the problems in our culture today, among many, is affluence. We have too much. And all that stuff takes away our focus of what we should be about. Jesus said as a child, I must be about my father's business. We have to be about the business of our Father. 
calling men and women and boys and girls to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for the ministries that we have at Bethesda Church, for our WANA program that are teaching boys and girls the gospel and teaching them about sin. I'm thankful for the Angie's Bible study on Wednesday night, reaching out to ladies. I'm thankful for our CR ministry and the people that God is bringing into CR that can find healing and hope and encouragement in Christ, in Christ alone. He is the answer. And I will tell you, every Thursday night, we open our meeting with three songs, and then we go right to God's word because we want them to know the truth. It's the only thing that will set people free. We believe that. Maybe you're here today and you have internal conflict going on like King Herod because you've been confronted with the truth but you aren't living in the truth. And you know it and God knows it. What are you going to do about it? What is the Holy Spirit telling you to do? Is he knocking on the door of your heart and are you going to respond? and turn from your sin and trust Christ. See, the reason the church is not more evangelistic than it is is because we are too, have too close a relationship with sin, and that kills evangelism. May God help us be willing to be the witness that Christ wants us to be. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, He's the only one that can take away your sin. You can't remove it yourself. God can help you if you'll give your life to Christ. I just want to wait a quiet moment as you have your heart quiet before the Lord. What is he asking you to do? Would you be a John the Baptist? Be willing to confront sin and love, calling people to Christ. Maybe he's calling you this morning to come out of your sin and to trust Christ to be your Savior and your Lord. If there's anything we can do to help you, to encourage you, to help you in your walk with Christ, we'd be glad to meet with you. Pray with you. you've enjoyed today's message if you would like to know more about bethesda church you can check us out on the web by going to our website which is bethesda mb.org that's bethesda m as in mary b as in boy.org or check us out on facebook by searching for bethesda church of huron have a blessed day